like you said, this too shall pass and it will, it will. Mm -hmm. uh, but the longer the effects of the COVID-19 persist and the longer we remain in this kind of shelter in place or in a lockdown mode, I think the more and more we will see companies and workers rethinking what the definition of the workplace is going to be. Hello, students. Welcome back to the Data Dogs podcast, season two, episode three, the COVID cast. I'm Lee Britton. And today we have an exciting, informative episode with our uh, MBA and MSBA program director, Dr. Shantani Chatterjee, that's going to be joining the conversation about what the economy is looking like right now. Please note that this is being recorded on a Zoom podcast. Everyone is working from home these days, and so the audible may be sounding a little bit different, so bear with us. But having said that, this is a fascinating episode, and we're excited to have him join us today. Welcome back to the Data Dogs podcast. I'm your co-host, Lee Britton, with Jake Mosley and Emily Nicholas, joining us this season for this COVID cast season two. We are on week four of quarantine in the university, temporarily closing campus, and week two of courses going remote until the end of the semester. How is everyone holding up is the question we have been asking for the past couple of weeks. And um, one, Andrew Salinas recently reached out to our students, MSBA students in particular, to see how their career search is going and any kind of job updates. And one student reached back out and kind of shared us his pros and cons of his online experience. And it was kind of a fresh air to see because um, we haven't heard much feedback about how that's going in particular. And one thing he pointed out was the convenience and flexibility that he has now with his work and school balance. And interestingly enough, um, the ease of access and the increased diversity of the course materials. So it's good to see some positivity coming a little bit out of there. Um, Jake and Emily, how are you guys holding up? Bust red. <laughs> oh, Any new updates on the CMC side? Yeah, we. Um, it's been interesting. You know, I spend a lot of my time talking to our corporate partners and more than ever, conversations are beginning with, how are you? How's it going? How are you holding up? It's actually a very nice human touch to interactions, um, which can sometimes, you know, be all business. So yeah, it's, it's been fun to engage with students on a weekly basis during our office hours. So every Wednesday from two to three, we have office hours with our students and there hasn't been a lot of take up as of this point, but the students who do choose to join, um, I think have a good time and it just does feel like things are a little bit back to normal while we're all to together in our virtual office. I, I keep hearing from students that, that somehow everybody's busier now, which is certainly true for me. I was on a project call with our B collaborative team this morning and um, there's some undergrads through the Office of Sustainability on that call with us, and they, along with the MBAs, were, were saying that, that somehow things seem to be a little more busy. So uh, I think it's kind of um, a mixed bag for everybody. Um, I agree with you, Emily, too. When I'm connecting with folks, everybody is always asking about, you know, when I'm on the phone with students or email, checking up on each other. So that's a, that's a nice positive touch to, to keep us hanging in there. So, yeah. For sure. Yeah. 
And this is another great way to, to stay in touch with our students and with one another. So um, we're glad that it's here and that we're able to share it with everyone. So joining us today is our MBA and MSBA program director and Josiah Meggs, Professor of Economics, Dr. Shantanu Chatterjee, joins with COVIDcast to discuss the effects the economy is taking during this time of the COVID-19 pandemic. Dr. Chatterjee also teaches our MBA first years, the economics core course. Um, thank you for joining us today. Hey, thank you, Lee. How are you? I'm doing well. We're we're podcasting from home, so we're thrilled that you're able to join us this afternoon. Um, I'm at home as well, but I'm glad to be here. Great. Um, so the discussion of why we brought you in today um, is to talk about the economy and what the effects it has taken during this time of the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you kind of walk us through the timeline of how we got to where the economy is now and when it began to shift at the beginning of January? Sure. Uh, so this uh, uh, pandemic today, as we know, it started with a, with a kind of a virus outbreak, which is a, you know called the novel uh, coronavirus or COVID-19 um, in late December in China. And the first case that was uh, identified or diagnosed in the United States was... Uh, uh, on January 20th, uh, that was the first day that uh, the, the, the first U.S. case was reported. And uh, and that was less than four months ago, right? And to give you some perspective, I was kind of thinking back over the last month or so. On the 5th of March, uh, that was the day when we left on our uh, MBA corporate residency study abroad trip to South Africa, right? right. And um, on that day, uh, the U.S. had a total of 129 cases. And uh, globally, there were less than 100,000 uh, COVID-19 cases, uh, with 80% of those cases in China, right? So that was, what, about four weeks ago. And in those four weeks, and today as we stand, as we speak, the U.S. has more than 400,000 cases and about 1.5 million cases globally. And the epicenter of this crisis has moved away from China. It moved on to Italy and Spain, and then now the United States finds itself front and center of this crisis. So, you know, to, to put things in perspective, you know, in four weeks, we have gone from 129 cases to more than 400,000. So this kind of underscores how fast this epidemic has spread uh, and uh, how dangerous it is, right? And and really uh, what, uh, what, what makes it so dangerous is uh, the fact that we don't have much information on how this spreads, who it affects, uh, how the body reacts to it. And, uh, and, and in the absence of that data, uh, it, is, it is very difficult for us to respond uh, to, to this emerging pandemic. What we know is that the virus spreads very quickly. It can spread from human to human. And with this increased pace of globalization and people moving about and traveling and trade and and, and uh, the way we conduct our lives and our daily transactions, uh, this becomes a hotbed for the virus to spread. But more importantly, one of the reasons why I, I feel the virus is so, uh, so, so dangerous is, uh, you know, how slowly it incubates. If you compare it to the flu virus, for example, the average incubation period for the flu virus is about two days, right? You have the virus, and in, in most likely in two days, you're going to start feeling the symptoms, and you're, you're, you're going to start feeling sick. And, and things like that. For the COVID-19 virus, it could go all the way up to 14 days. And this is where the danger lies, that you could have the virus in you 14 days, not be symptomatic, 
and right. still be in a position to spread it around, right? And that is what it's, it's almost like an unseen danger. And because we don't have a vaccine and we don't have a treatment, it kind of magnifies and accelerates uh, the effect of the virus. Uh, also, you know, the, the, the speed with which the virus has spread, especially in the United States, um, and, and how the U.S. has become kind of been at the front and center of this, also tells you that the U.S. was caught off guard in the spread of the virus. You know, it, despite having a couple of months of lead time to prepare for it, it, it probably um, underestimated uh, the breadth and the scope with which the virus would spread. And uh, that has also magnified and accelerated its economics. Very good point. Yeah, and then I feel like that the students have, you know, been asking about your perspective and, and how this um, is playing out right now. Can you walk us through how this recession now might be different than previous ones? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Um, you know, uh, if you if you think about it, the this is this is a recession or an economic downturn or an economic shock, whatever you'd like to call it. That is unlike any we have seen um, in the last seven eight decades. You know, typically, when you think of a recession, if you go back and look at the two thousand seven to two thousand nine financial crisis or the Great Recession. Uh, you go back and look at uh, the recession that uh, happened after 9-11 or the, uh, when the IT bubble burst in the late 90s or go back to the 90, uh, 1980s to the oil price shocks. All of these recessions were caused or induced by, uh, you know, shocks to economic fundamentals. So, you know, there was something, some economic fundamental, whether it was uh, stock markets that were overpriced or the real estate markets that had a bubble in them or there was a hit to consumer confidence after the terrorist attacks of 9-11, there was a, a shock or a change in an economic fundamental that kind of pushed the economy into a downturn. And, and those downturns happen gradually. Uh, companies respond gradually to it. So there are, you know, unemployment rises slowly. And it takes you know, several quarters, several months, sometimes several years. You know, 2007, the Great Recession or the financial crisis, Unemployment went from 5% to 10% over a period of almost two years, right? Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a slow-moving recession, but it was caused by economic factor. This one is completely different. It, it, it was Everything was going well. The U.S. economy was doing very well. The job market right. was tight. Uh, hundreds of thousands of new jobs were being created every month. Uh, employers were, were you know, kind of looking for work and not looking for skilled workers and not finding much. The wages were growing, and all of a sudden, we have a pandemic caused by a virus at a global scale, right? It does not affect one country, but, but uh, you know, it kind of spread quickly over the, uh, over the last two or three months. And the problem is that this is not an, an economic, it has become an economic recession now, but it didn't start off as one. It started off as a pandemic, and what happens is that when you have a pandemic and you don't have data and you don't have a vaccine and you don't have treatments, you've got to keep people away from work. You've got to keep people away from interacting with each other. So this is almost like an induced recession. I like to think of it, you're on, on a hospital bed, you're not well, and to, to save you, uh, the doctor basically temporarily puts you to sleep, right, or puts right. you into a coma. And that is what has happened. So that is why the effects of this recession, uh, how we go into it and how we come out of it, in my opinion, are going to be very, very different from what you've seen in the past. And the treatment is also going to be very different from what you've seen in the past. So kind of touching base on what it will look like and, and will this be a slow or quick 
way to recover. Do you have an idea from your professional perspective of what this road to recovery may look like? That, that's a good question. And if mm-hmm. I could foresee the future, um, I'd probably be somewhere else. <laughs> Uh, but at the same time, I think, you know, I have a lot of confidence in, in our uh, policymakers' ability to deal with the crisis. If you, if you look at how uh, globally governments have reacted um, uh, to this crisis, you know, they've acted collaboratively. Um, you know, governments across the world, central banks across the world have made sure that companies and banks have the liquidity they need to lend money out to, to undertake their transactions. So we, we don't have the kind of credit crunch that we had in the 2007-2009 uh, financial crisis. So, uh, so the Federal Reserve and, and many other big central banks have pumped a lot of liquidity into the markets. Um, uh, the U.S. Congress, as well as other governments, have enacted expansive uh, fiscal policy measures. You know, for example, mm-hmm. in the U.S., we've had a $2.2 trillion stimulus package that right. uh, are, is looking at both sides. You know, it is, it is mm-hmm. helping companies out, small and medium businesses, as well as large corporations, uh, mm-hmm. helping them stay afloat. Uh, at the same time, it is also trying, to the extent possible, protecting the interest of workers. And this is this is very important. Is you know the the unemployment that, and I mentioned a few minutes ago that in 2007 it took about two years for unemployment to go from five percent to ten percent. Uh, with this COVID-19 pandemic, uh, we've had we're probably going to go through that within weeks. Um, you know, and definitely less than a month. We have almost 10 million people filing for uh, for unemployment, so which means that unemployment could go from 3% to almost 13 or 15% in the span mm-hmm. of, of a month or two. So what? So we are going to you cover more ground downwards um, in in one or two months relative to what we did in over two years back, 10 or 12 years ago. And, and that is the danger, right? And, and all of this is being caused by this induced shutdown of the economy. And, and that, that, that had to be done because you had to have the social distancing, the quarantine uh, mm-hmm. to stop the spread of the virus in, in the absence of a vaccine or, or a treatment and in the absence of data. So, uh, you know, who has been hit the most? You know, it is the retail sector. And that is one of the largest employers in the U.S. Mm-hmm. You know, the small businesses and the restaurants and travel and hospitality and entertainment, all of these sectors have been hit very hard. And, uh, and, and this can have ripple effects on the economy, right? So as, as these workers lose jobs, it, it will affect how much they can spend. Uh, many of them will lose their health benefits from their employers mm-hmm. as they get separated from their jobs. That can uh, you know, quickly run up medical bills if they get affected by the crisis or some other sickness befalls them, right? And that can put additional pressure on our public health system, which is already, as we know, quite under-resourced and, mm-hmm. um, and, and uh, stretched. Eventually, can have an effect on the housing market as people find it difficult to pay their bills uh, and their mortgages. So it can have widespread impact on the economy very, very quickly, right? Uh, it's almost mm-hmm. like somebody hit a fast-forward button um, right. rather than playing things out in slow motion. That, uh, that is what happens in previous recessions. So I think it is very imperative that the government and the U.S. Congress and across the world act aggressively and purposefully. And some of that has already happened. So, uh, you know, but uh, at the same time, I think uh, how quickly we can recover from the recession will depend on, you know, when things get back to normal and companies start ramping up production and start, mm-hmm. you know, uh, putting the, uh, you know, t- turning on the on switch with their supply chains how quickly they can get back, get people back to work. And that is where I feel 
that the huge unemployment that is being generated is, is going to be very inefficient for the economy uh, because these workers will get, get separated from their work. Many of them will go through uh, economic uh, difficulties despite the support they will get from the government. If the companies have to go out and look for these workers all over again, that's a costly process, right? right. At the very long it takes time to post jobs, uh, to get positions approved, to go you know, interview people and, and hire people and onboard them. It could take months for, for employment to come back. And, uh, uh, and that, that might slow the recovery. On the other hand, if more and more small and medium-sized businesses you know, go bankrupt, they are the largest employers mm-hmm. of workers in the U.S., you know, many of those businesses will not come back, right? Like small restaurants, right. or small right. businesses and, and things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, and, and if they don't come back, those jobs will be permanently lost. So I think right. it is imperative that any kind of public policy protect those sectors of the economy, protect uh, small and medium-sized business, businesses from going bankrupt to keep them afloat, mm-hmm. and more importantly, maintain payroll. Right, I, I prevent right. unemployment from going up too high. Keep workers right. in their jobs. That helps with their mental anxiety. That helps them with their paying bills, and that helps with reducing uncertainty about the future when people have families to provide for, and and food to put on the table, and and uh, mortgages and rents to pay for. It is very important that one should not have to worry about well, what am I going to do in two or three months when my stimulus mm-hmm. checks run run out, or when my right. unemployment insurance runs out. So, you know, if you look at Europe, for example, many European countries have essentially focused on that aspect of public policy is to keep people on payroll. So providing resources to companies and businesses not to lay off workers. So as long as you keep workers on payroll, the government takes it's almost like you go on furlough, but the government pays your salary. And so that right. and the advantage of that is that you, you reduce unemployment, you don't waste the economy's resources. At the mm. same time, when everything goes back to normal, which it will, right? At some point, we will get through this. You can quickly jumpstart or kickstart production, right? And right. people can go back to work as if nothing had happened, right? Yeah, you will lose a few months, but that is, that is what is going to determine the pace of, of the recovery. Now, for, you know, you asked uh, how fast or, or slow or when we perhaps can get back to work. Um, I think a couple of things have to happen for that. Uh, first of all, I think we need to aggressively increase testing, right? And that is what good science calls for, is that you test as many people as you can, because that is what will get us the data that we need to make good decisions about, you know, opening the economy. So the more people you test, you will know who is affected, how many are affected, who is not affected, who has recovered, how they have recovered, right? Right. So that then, and then you can start doing contract tracing using cell phone apps and big data. And that, that has its own concerns about security and privacy and things like that. But in a, in a time like this, that, that, is, that is a very, very useful tool to do contract tracing, figure out who you've interacted with, where you've been. You will then know who should be isolating, who should be self-isolating, who should be self-quarantining, and who could you know, reasonably get back to work, right? It right. would give companies uh, good data to make decisions on how to reorganize their work. Okay. Um, And the second thing I think we need to see is uh, a persistent and a consistent drop in new infections. And we have to probably observe that for two continuous weeks of decline in daily infections uh, or daily cases diagnosed and deaths perhaps uh, to start feeling confident that, yes, this is, we've, we've kind of crossed the peak. 
And then I think we also have to make sure, and this is probably the most important point, is that because we don't yet have a vaccine or a treatment for this problem, which we eventually have as a long-term solution, but in the short term, that we invest well in our public health system. We make sure that mm -hmm. our public health uh, system is well-resourced, is well-staffed. Our doctors and our nurses and our healthcare workers have the medical equipment, the protective gear, uh, the diagnostic tools that they need to treat people who come in, whether it's for COVID-19 or anything else. Because, you know, pandemics are going to happen, right? And we live in a world where we are more mobile, we are more integrated, we are encroaching more and more on the environment. And, mm -hmm. and uh, man and woman and nature are, are right. coming more and more in contact with each other. And as, as a result, you know, these things are going to happen, right? And, and the mm -hmm. world population is increasing, population density is increasing. So none of it is, is going in a direction where we can say, well, we don't have to worry about pandemics this will happen. But when it does happen, and these things are inevitable, we have to make sure that we are prepared, right? We, we, our public health system is prepared. We have the diagnostics. We have the treatments available. We are investing in research and development to develop vaccines, to develop treatments. Mm -hmm. Those things have to be there. So I think we have to kind of uh, make sure that our public health system is well researched. If all of these three things, aggressive testing, a decline in cases for maybe two weeks, and a well-stocked, well-resourced public health system can be guaranteed, um, then I think the public will regain the confidence to go out and interact. So right now, you know, if our employers tell us that you've got to go back to work, we probably have to go mm -hmm. back to work. Many of us will not have the choice. Some of us will, some of us will not. But what is important for us, for the economy to recover, is that you know, we go out and we do the things we normally do, which is we go eat out at restaurants. We right. plan our vacations. We go to the mall and buy clothes. Uh, and mm -hmm. we go back to grocery shopping and we, uh, you know, go take our kids to the theater uh, to watch films or, you know, to eat ice cream uh, if the summer is coming, things like that. And we can only do that if we are confident enough that those interactions are not going to put us and our family's health and our community's health in danger. Consumers regaining confidence about mm -hmm. interacting with others uh, and interacting with businesses safely. And, and, and for that to happen, I think the government has to really step up testing so that people feel confident that if they feel sick, they can go and get a test. And the government and businesses will have good data on who is sick and who is not so that you can you know, strategically isolate people, you can, you can trace them. Uh, if we know that our public health system is well-resourced and there are, there's not a shortage of kits and there's not a shortage of uh, swabs and, and masks and things like that, mm -hmm. we'll feel more confident about, about uh, you know, walking into the hospital, for example. Our public health professionals will feel more confident in treating cases and they'll not have to do it out of fear. And, uh, and only then we can start getting back to normal, so, so uh, normal activities. So one side of this is, you know, employment coming back, companies going out and starting to hire again. The other side is that consumers feeling safe enough to go and buy the things and, and consume the goods and services consumers produce. And, and for that to happen, you know, at the, at the public policy level, uh, there has, there's got to be much more investment, uh, much more strategic nationwide policies, uniform policies that are applied uh, purposefully and, and with regard to public health and regard, with regard to communications as to what we are supposed to do and what we should expect. And at our level, I think at this point, social distancing is our only option, right? We don't have a vaccine. We don't have a treatment. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. the, the virus is still not slowing down. 
So we have to stay where we are. And we hope that this induced coma that the economy is in will eventually, you know, get us back to, to health. So we need to be careful. We need to be cognizant of the threat around us and be, be respectful of that and uh, stay where we are, stay in our homes and observe uh, the guidelines that the CDC has issued about social distancing and about shelter in place, those are something that we should we should take very, very seriously because getting back to normal or whatever the new normal is going to be will take an unprecedented level of collaboration at all levels, right? Between you and me and between me and my neighbor, between me and my, my employer, between the government and, and the citizens, there has to be collaboration and and. For good collaboration, there's got to be good communication, and okay. our policymakers will have to do the right thing by by making sure that we have the resources to do it. Very, very good points. And and Jake, did you have something? What is our new normal going to be in terms of like? I'm curious, and I know this is there's not an easy answer here. It's just a question that's been on my mind through all this. Is when we are on the other side of this, what does business look like? What is the like, mm. You know, what have we learned we can do without or um, are, po- are folks going to be more open to telecommuting, for example, because, hey, look, guess what? They were able to get it done without coming to the office every day. So that's something I'm just curious about as to, you know, what our new normal will be and if this will have lasting impacts on how we do day to day business. Yeah, I uh, in my conversations, I don't know if anyone has found their current new normal, and so I think it's hard uh, for yeah anyone to imagine what on the other side things look like. I do think that um, I've even witnessed this just amongst our team that our our ability to use and leverage technology to be more connected and more mm-hmm. effective has certainly taken place, um, and I think that's kind of across generations, you know the early millennials, Gen Z in the workplace, it's probably kind of in their wheelhouse to do that. And then, you know, as generations get older, technology integration has maybe not been a top priority and now all of a sudden it is. And so from that respect, I think it's a positive change, uh, growing pains, but a positive change. And on the other side, I'll be curious to see if there's more of a desire to get in the office and be around people, or perhaps <laughs> uh, some will go in the other direction and, and like to stay at home. I'll be interested to see. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with Emily. You know, I mean, if you go back in history and look at past recessions, every recession, uh, as it has presented challenges to both employers and, and workers, mm-hmm. and if you go back to the 1970s and 80s, oil price shocks. Um, that that uh, you know put the economy into this uh, you know high unemployment and, and a phase of uh, high inflation, you know uh, completely changed the automobile industry. And with the advent of Japanese cars in the U.S., the focus was on on uh, fuel efficiency and and uh, you know manufacturing smaller cars that are more fuel efficient, right? And and lowering our dependence on on um, non-renewable sources of energy like oil. Uh, I mean, if you look at the 2007-2009 uh, financial crisis, a lot of companies used that crisis while unemployment was so high to when they got back into the into into the the scheme of things, the focus was on efficiency, right? Uh, you know, a lot of jobs were lost permanently, but the jobs that remained, the focus was more on technology, more on automation, and more on efficiency. Um, and I and I believe it'll it'll not be that different uh, in this recession as well. Um, 
I think companies that focus more on technology or on online commerce will, will continue to thrive and will find new markets and new consumers who are willing to interact with them. Uh, companies that don't do that will start looking in that direction. And, and, I, and I believe there'll be, there'll be a move towards more automation, but also more uh, ways to leverage technology to, uh, in the workplace, right? So, so I think uh, it might even lead to a shift in, in the culture of the workplace that, you know, you don't have to show up and, and be in the office before your boss shows up. And you don't have to stay until uh, after your boss leaves, right? Um, you can you can get that work done at home. <laughs> we, we were supposed to be doing that. <laughs> now, I'm not saying you're supposed to be doing that. I mean, I have my bosses as well, and I'm sure I, I fail in that every day. Uh, but but uh, again, you know, work can be done. But but also, you know, uh, we were talking before we started is is. Uh, you know, this is also, you know, working remotely has its own challenges, right? That you suddenly, you know, you do have some more time, um, you know, theoretically, because you're not having to commute and, and, and you know, mm. do things like that. But at the same time, that, the fact that your time constraints are a little bit more relaxed, does that make you a worse manager of your time? Right. Uh, you know, mm. so we have to think about carefully prioritizing our day and making sure that we are still trying to be regular and, and, uh, I, I often find that when I have more time on my hands, I'm not a good manager of that time. <laughs> uh, but so, so, but I think it, it's going to be a learning curve for for on both sides, both employers and employees. But uh, but but yeah, this will this will definitely lead to some some shift. Of course, it it, it depends a lot on how long this lasts. If, if this gets over quickly, public memory is short. You know, like you said, this too shall pass, and it will. It will. Uh, but the longer the effects of the COVID-19 persist and the longer we remain in this kind of shelter in place or in a lockdown mode, I think the more and more we will see companies and workers rethinking what the definition of the workplace is going to be. For sure. And I feel like, you know, going back to managing your time, um, we're all at home and we have families as well. And so managing that time on top of, um, you know, other things that I tend to work later. I'm not used to, <laughs> I'm used to my eight to five. And now it's like, oh, I get a, have a two hour, go to my other full-time job with my daughter and catching back up after, you know, supper's over. Um, so I, for one, am ready to, to go back in and, and go back to my old normal instead of a new normal. <laughs> yeah. Get, get daycare back open, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, but please. <laughs> yeah. Shantanu, I'm wondering if, or, or Dr. Chatterjee, and if this is for students, I should say that, shouldn't I? Uh, I'm curious if you uh, have any kind of wise words for Students, I know that uh, a lot of our students enjoy talking with you and having chats with you. I'm just curious as a send-off or even just an encouragement if you might have anything to share. Right. As I said, this, this too shall pass. Um, again, this is, this is a temporary adjustment, but I know it's a hard adjustment for many, especially those who are graduating. You know, I, I feel terrible that they, they will miss one of the most important uh, milestones of their professional career, which is that commencement ceremony when they are being conferred their degrees. That's a that's a, a invaluable uh, moment and a memory for both us and for them. You know, when I stand on that podium and shake hands with every graduate that crosses that stage, it it it, it makes me incredibly proud. 
um, to have witnessed their transformation from when they came into the program to the point when they uh, when they leave, and incredibly humble and thankful for all they have done for us and all they will, will continue to do, and and happy that we've been a small part of that of that journey. So so and that is very unfortunate that that we will all miss out on that collective uh, celebration. Uh, on the other hand, I also understand that there's there's a lot of anxiety about what the future will look like, especially the summer and uh, with, with jobs and internships. And uh, but again, you know, uh, my advice is that you know all our students, whether they're in the MBA program or our MS Business Analytics program, you know, they have come very far in life and they have achieved a lot to be where they are. And I and I always think that. You know, that experience that they bring to with them, whether they come into the MSBA program or the MBA program, whether it's experience from work, experience from their previous degree, is also a very, very valuable asset. And that will always serve them well. The degree that they have will get from us now, the MBA or the MSBA, will be a great asset in their portfolio and and never, you know, even in the darkest of times, never to forget that that, you know, they have worked very hard to be where they are. And that investment that they have made uh, in UGA or in, in their previous um, uh, professional life is going to yield, continue to yield high returns for them in the future. So my advice would be, as you go on and, and try to navigate through your online classes and then move towards graduation or the summer, uh, you know, internships and look beyond, uh, you know, keep doing what uh, we've always told you to do. You know, keep keep your chin up, right? And this will this is this is temporary. This will pass. But when it does pass, you want to be in a position where you're ready to jump back in, either into academics or into the workforce, uh, and or into a job search. So for that to happen, I think, uh, and, and Emily, you probably would agree with me that they will need to keep you know, doing the networking, right? The, the, the outreach alums uh, to, to people who, you know, or, or reach out to alumni for advice, reach out to recruiters, reach out to their mentors. And, but also, you know, keep that networking up, keep the conversations up, knowing that this is a temporary phase, uh, you know, and this will, this will go away in, in a few weeks or in a few months. And when it does, they need to be prepared to jump back in. And for them to be prepared, they will need to keep doing uh, perhaps even more uh, uh, what they have been doing to get to this point. Uh, well, thank you, Dr. Chatterjee, for joining us today and giving us your insight as to what the economy has been doing and, and some possible pathways into the future for hopefully the short period of time that we have left of this pandemic. Yeah, thanks for having me. So in our in our last segment of this, um, we kind of end on a lighter note with some student shout outs and um, new any kind of new updates from us on a lighter note. Um, Emily, do you have a student shout out to share with us today? I do. So thanks to Jiwan for passing this off to me. He found that the MSBA student Austin Crusco posted an article, a very thorough article, um, kind of on his assessment about the coronavirus. So just wanted to shout out to him. He made very good use of his extra time um, during this crisis and also utilized some Python skills that he has um, learned in the program in order to do some of the analysis that he shares. So I encourage everyone to look up Austin Crusco on LinkedIn and find and like that post. I think you'll find 
um, yeah, what he's talking about. Very interesting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Austin is one of our MSBA students. And so he, yeah, used the data analytics to showcase what this pandemic is doing and analytics to show that. Yeah, and speaking of MSBA students, Emily, if I could just sort of slide into your student shout out, um, you led a really great um, capstone check-in with the MSBA students last Friday. And I just want to say thanks to to all the students out there that continue to work on our applied learning corporate engagement projects. Um, back to what Shantanu was saying about all that you do for our programs, that's certainly a big piece of it. And I know a lot's been thrown y'all's way, so um, shout out to everybody, you know, on a capstone applied learning project yeah great job guys um i was able to listen to that for the for the full um couple of hours last week and so um a lot of work you guys are doing and still still trugging through it through through all of this and trying to stay in touch with your teams and the clients so good job on that awesome um we also have new gba leaders for next year um, that was announced earlier this week. Um, so we'll kind of announce it on here too, in case um, everyone overlooked the email, or we just want to give a congratulations from the CMC and from the Office of Student Engagement and MBA Admissions. Um, so our president for our Graduate Business Association Club is um, the president is Ed Solar, and. Our VP of Program Improvement is Alex Foy. Our VP of Events is Josh Cushing. Um, our VP of Communications is Emily Conley. Um, VP of Mentorship is Lily Waldron, and she is also our GWBA president for next year. Congratulations, Lily. And our VP of International Immersion is Siddhant Agarwal. Awesome. Yay, yes, everyone. Yeah, we're, we're very excited to uh, to work with them next year. And um, again, shout out to Brenna and her GBA team, man. They um, they really knocked it out of the park. Um, and, and I promise we'll find a way to celebrate with you guys when social distancing is over. But uh, you guys were a, a great group of second years and you're handing it off to an awesome group of first years. And, and we're we're excited to continue to build the program. Um, even for those that are graduating both MBA and MSBA, um, our work is still here. This is why we do what we do. So your degree is better. And and so that's what we're going to continue to do. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, that wraps up our third episode of the Data Dog oh. COVID Cast. Oh, no, what? it doesn't. Jake. <laughs> what, what about our COVID Cast Toolkit? Oh, our Toolkit. Yeah. I mean, mine, mine is busted. I, I need some ideas about <laughs> bringing it up. I'm, it's like my COVID cooler is empty. Like, mm. so I'm just going to see if I can steal any ideas from y'all. What's the, when's the next Kroger pickup? <laughs> yeah. Not yet. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's long. I can't even see it for me to leave. What about y'all? Emily, what's in your toolkit right now? Well, I have been enjoying eating lunch outside. It's so easy for me to stay indoors all day. You all talked about gardening last week, so I'm trying to get outside more. I've been walking and chit-chatting on the phone in the evenings. And then lastly, uh, one of my favorite authors, Glennon Doyle, released a book a couple weeks ago called Untamed, and I've been really enjoying reading that. 
So those that's in my toolkit for this week. I would suggest all of those. What about you, Lee? What are what's what's helping you out this week? Um <laughs> Amazon is is doing well on my account. And <laughs> I, um, I, I, I try and find things to do at home with my daughter. So, uh, recently I bought a, a small pool for her. So I was able to have three hours, solid three hours today of just getting stuff done getting work stuff done and sitting outside and like you, Emily, enjoying the sunshine. And I think I already had my summer tan going. So uh, Amazon is on my COVID toolkit this week. Nice. That's awesome. Jake, what about you? Help, Jake. <laughs> yeah, my, I, I sort of, I, I'm struggling a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm running low on Bigfoot podcast. Um, oh. John Prine died last night. Like it. I know. Uh because sometimes I can just listen to sad songs and that'd be okay, but I don't not Anyway, um, I am still enjoying the yard work. I know it's a bit of a, a try, but we've got more birds now. So like there's, it's a little bit of, of peace and getting out in the afternoon. I think to your point, Emily, getting outside, especially while the weather's nice is, is very helpful. So um, I'm looking to recharge my batteries and have a better school kit for the next show. So. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. What about Dr. Dr. Chatterjee? Chatterjee. How, how? Yeah, Dr. Chatterjee is still here. What's on your toolkit? So for me, it's uh, grilling outside because oh, uh, yeah. the weather's been nice, taking some long walks every day um, and catching up on reading episodes of Better Call Saul and Succession. And, yeah. uh, and, and the downside, of course, is that my to-do list keeps increasing. <laughs> so, but that's okay. That's okay. I can live with that. Yeah. Uh, that's good stuff. I like the barbecue. Yeah, Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul is one of my most favorite shows, yeah. Yeah, Succession is very good, too. Mm -hmm. Nice. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing. Thank you all. Yeah, because it gives me something something else to look into. (laughs) There you go. Thank you, everyone, for um, joining us. And thank you, Dr. Chatterjee, for um, divulging your information with us today. And thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Have a great week, everybody. You guys too. Take care. Stay healthy. This has been another episode of Data Dogs, Season 2, Episode 3 of the COVID Cast. Thank you, Dr. Shantanu Chatterjee, for joining us today, and my co-hosts, Jake Mosley and Emily Nicholas. You can find us at georgiaanalytics.com or georgiamba.com, and also follow us on our Instagram at georgiamba and georgiaanalytics. Find more information about this podcast in our show notes. See you next time.